0: friends and listeners of Team aka the most accurate podcast. The 2022 fantasy football season might be over, but the NFL season still has quite a ways to go until the next Super Bowl champions are crowned. We wanted to give you a heads up that what you're about to listen to is a special presentation of Move the Line, a weekly betting preview show hosted by Ryan Noonan, Connor Allen, and John Dagle With our normal Team Map episodes on a temporary hiatus, Move the Line will become a blend of betting and fantasy analysis for the next few weeks. It will be posted on the MTL and TMAP podcast feeds. John Daigle, Hayden Winks, and Josh Norris will still be recording their recap show every week. Plus, you can find more
1: fantasy content on our YouTube channel by subscribing to youtube.com slash at 444. Thanks for your support. Now let's get to the show.
0: move line I'm ryan noonan joined here as always by my friends connor allen john daigle connor this is uh, my favorite weekend of the year i mean really outside of week one we have the anticipation of real football we've been like doing this for months and waiting and speculating and futures and all that stuff that goes into to week one four games good teams for the most part impactful football i love this weekend how we doing buddy
2: Good. I mean, it's, it's tough to top last week. I thought we got some great games. There's two games that I expect to be awesome this weekend and two games that I have a really strong lean on one team, and I think the market does as well. So excited to break it down with you guys here. And uh, sorry for spamming the go live button early without uh, playing our intro, but we'll probably go chop that up for the podcast here. But the, the live viewers, know.
0: Cold open, but it's all good. Uh, Daigle, how we doing?
1: Divisional round, still working out all the kinks. It's all good. We are here nonetheless to talk about four important games so an exciting week
0: this is why they don't let us often fly solo without a uh, a producer today we're doing that and that's uh, what happens we get a little cold open and we don't play the music and you know we need that cadence to get into the show but uh, uh gonna continue again live wednesdays discussing our favorite games on the board taking your questions as well so if you happen to be hanging out with us now on youtube first of all subscribe so you don't miss the show we appreciate that uh we'll let you get access to all the other great content here on the 4, for 4 youtube page uh smash the like button uh here in youtube on the audio podcast rate and review that audio po- podcast that would help as well and then jump in the chat let us know if you have any favorite looks here how you think this is going to play out great weekend great football uh sides of totals we'd love to be able to kind of work out that for you here at the end if you have any questions i want to remind folks as well two episodes of move the line each week still doing prop drop which is our prop specific show on friday this is game previews Uh, Connor, Pat Mayo, and myself on Fridays, 2 p.m. Eastern here on the YouTube channel. You can find it in the podcast feeds as well. Also on YouTube specifically, we have a 4 for 4 Bets YouTube channel, uh, which is unique content uh, covering some of the other sports that we have here over at 4 for 4. And that also was a good reminder. Season's almost over, but $19 for a betting subscription. At four for four from now through the end of February, so it takes you through the end of the Super Bowl, uh, a little bit beyond that because we're covering other sports: NBA, college hoops, MMA. Uh, we'll have a little bit of golf in there for you as well. On top of that, so um, again, access to literally every tool on the site. Um, Daigle, TJ, still grinding the DFS stuff there too, and the showdown slates and all the small slate stuff that we have going on here uh, with the, you know compressed four games. So that gets you access to literally everything. 444.com slash plans, $19 for the betting subscription. Great way to get into the Discord, get all the picks and plays that we put out there. Uh, Like-minded community where you can kind of share thoughts around whatever it is. If you're in any of the Pick'em games, Underdog, uh, Vivid, that Connor continues to uh, get live physical checks from, which is great. Prize picks. uh, We have unique channels in there for you as well and get all the plays that we have for you.
1: We had a good run in the wild card round two in the Discord. Uh, I was one of the few. We talked about on the show how I didn't believe in the Chargers offense, despite everything everyone else was making them out to be. And Justin Herbert, of course, failed to get there at all in fantasy, which is the purpose of my job, which is why I talked about it. And then a lot of people in Discord also on that first round of the games stacked Brock Purdy with Elijah Mitchell, Debo Samuel, and Christian McCaffrey. Uh, Elijah Mitchell, of course, who got lucky there to score, receiving touchdown only four routes. But it was a short slate. That's all it that mattered. So, yeah, a really good day. Eight games. Uh, you know. I'm sorry, eight teams. Four games. Two on Saturday,
0: two on Sunday. Um, should be a good time. I love this weekend, and I think we're going to get started here uh, at the very, very top. We have a rematch. Um, it's actually a game that I think everyone out there is waiting for. You have actually the only two Super Bowl uh, winning coaches that are uh, still alive here. This is Andy Reid. Uh, used to coach Doug Peterson. Uh, he right, was replaced by Doug Peterson. There's just a lot of continuity there. And then you just have the two young guns, the second year up and comer. Uh, and then you have the, you know, Wiley veteran who continues to kind of do things. Of course, I'm talking about This matchup here between Nick Bolton and Foyer Luakon at linebacker position between these two clubs, uh, because these are two of the best in business. But uh, actually, we're talking about the quarterbacks here. And eight and a half is basically the line across the board. Uh, We have a total of 53, 52 and a half. Again, FanDuel typically off market just a little bit here. This is sitting in prime teaser zone. We'll get to that because this Saturday teaser is going to be probably the most held tickets, the most square public ticket ever here where the Chiefs are at eight and a half. Uh, these two teams played back in week 12, Ton of yards, like 498 total yards from the Chiefs here. They gave up a couple of turnovers that kept the Jags pretty close um, enough for them to, you know, be within 10 points. And again, that's not going to cover here. Um, again, obviously a crazy comeback for the Jags last week, which was impressive. Chiefs getting rested and healthy. Dagle let you get started with Jags, Chiefs.
1: It is funny when you think about the small sample sizes of how Dak Prescott, who started that game 0-4-4, and then thankfully was on the road. Otherwise, the home team would have tried to boo him off the field after two CD Lamb drops. But then also Trevor Lawrence, who started that game because the Chargers, four for 16 for 30 yards and four interceptions in the first half. And now both of those quarterbacks are here in the divisional round. I think what's most important, though, to remember is that the Chiefs are 2-7-1 and one, covering the spread in their last 10 games. And those two covers occurred against Bryce Perkins and Jarrett Stidham. And remember, in the first matchup between these two teams, Jacksonville at the very least understood the assignment. They opened the game with a – surprise onside kick and recovery so getting the ball at their own 46 and then also the next possession the Chiefs opening possession they forced a fumble from Isaiah Pacheco that was still a young developing team midseason, though so they got zero points on those two series events that should have genuinely changed and altered the ending of the game but we at least also know is that Trevor Lawrence is a different player and the first eight weeks of the season, the first half of the year, he went 18-41, so a 44% completion rate inside the red zone for nine touchdowns and three interceptions. But from week nine on, including the playoffs against the Chargers, over the second half of the year, has completed 62% of his passes inside the 20 for 14 touchdowns and zero picks, including five of seven for three touchdowns and no interceptions inside the red zone against Los Angeles. So we are seeing a quarterback who it's hard to – It's funny to say I understand after he throws – forward turnovers, but really is a better player over the second half of the year. And just given the fact that they know they have to be aggressive to beat the Chiefs, which is being team's bugaboo for years and years. Remember the first time the Bills played the Chiefs as well? They kicked so many field goals on their own side of the field, which ultimately ruined them, and that's why the last two years we've seen the Bills play the Chiefs, they don't kick field goals anymore. They don't punt. They go for it because they understand how aggressive you have to be. Doug Peterson's already there, and he's there with a, with a group of players who are now Playing their absolute best in a whittled down target tree that consists of just Christian Kirk, Zay Jones, and Evan Ingram, which is not a bad thing. So, overall, from the outside looking in, I do actually like the Jags to cover. Although, if you told me to pick a team outright, it's definitely still the Chiefs. You got to
0: remember, like Doug Peterson knows that. And that's actually how this game started. They started with an onside kick, uh, if you remember back in week 12. Like, he knows that he has to minimize Chiefs possessions. And he has to keep his team on the field. Um, teams often do that in a conservative way. But I think you make a, a great point here. Uh, Connor, kick it to you here. This technically, I mean, I'd love to get your thoughts. Does this count as Andy read off a of bye? Because it kind of is. Right. And we know historically that's made a pretty big difference here as well.
2: Yeah, and going beyond that, the Chiefs with Patrick Mahomes have had a first round bye three times so far. They're three and zero in those games, beating the Texans fifty one to thirty one. They beat the Colts thirty one to thirteen, and then we're beating the Browns twenty two to ten before uh, Patrick Mahomes actually got injured in the third quarter. And then the Browns made a comeback there and almost like you know technically almost one. I think the chiefs actually had to go for it on fourth down there uh, with, I believe it was Chad Henney, a quarterback. So we're still able to get the win there. I get Daigle's point because the chiefs are generally overrated in the market. I guess my main concern here is like, I really, really don't see how the Jaguars are stopping the chiefs for less than 30. So it's a matter of like, can, can Trevor Lawrence and the, and the Jags keep it close enough to within a touchdown. So for me, it's, I think so. Like, I think we saw someone on another show drew the parallel between Trevor Lawrence and like Andrew Luck after a year or two. And I think that that's a pretty apt comparison in a lot of ways. Like what vividly comes to mind is that game that he came back in the playoffs against the chiefs actually themselves was down like 28 points, came back and ended up winning the game. Uh, like he has that ability to really just, you know, turn the game on its head and be able to score. So I I personally lean towards the Chiefs because I'm just not sure how the Jaguars necessarily stop them because of, like, at this point, they've, you know, worked in Kadarius Tony to be another weapon. You know, Juju Smith-Schuster is healthy now, only played 38% of the snaps against the Jaguars last time uh, for how much of a difference he makes. Travis Kelsey's good to go. Jarek McKinnon has become a much, much more bigger part of their receiving game as well. Like, there's so many different outlets, kind of like the 49ers. We'll get to them later. But, like, they just have so multiple that, like, a Jaguars defense that's already 30th in past DVOA and, like, I mean, I guess did relatively well against Justin Herbert, but didn't necessarily like weren't awesome. I, I just feel like in this spot here, like it's really tough for me to see the chiefs not scoring like 30 plus points.
0: A couple of seasonal matchups that just, when you kind of look at big picture, it's stuff that seems to be problematic. The Jags defense is, is not good as we know and they're playing better. And I think that that's fair feedback. Um, they've been really bad in the first half all season, 29th and DVOA in the first half chiefs offense. Unsurprisingly first, in the first half also Jacksonville really bad in the red zone 31st in red zone D DVOA, which is not a great place to be uh, as you head into arrowhead. So um, also Jacksonville's 32nd in pass DVOA against the tight end position, which uh, does not bode well for something that we think Kansas city wants to do. And that's probably featured Travis Kelsey uh, in this matchup. I think he actually underwhelming, I think six first uh, seven Uh, 81 yards in the first matchup when they played one big uh, you know run after the catch that kind of you know got him there in terms of you know hitting his prop and stuff like that so that's going to be interesting. Christian Kirk uh, had a big game in this matchup last time as well. I will say that they have made a recent change at slot corner for the Chiefs. Um, Jerry Sneed is a terrific corner, but a little bit bigger, more of your prototypical size outside corner that someone can match up with a perimeter uh, receiver. And I think Christian Kirk was just too quick for him in the slot. And that's part of why I think some season-long metrics will tell you that the Chiefs have been cooked by slot receivers. Um, now they've moved Snead outside, they've even using him a little bit to shadow. And you had Trent McDuffie, the rookie from Washington in the slot. And I think you've seen a little bit there. And that kind of bodes better for them matchup-wise, and maybe worse for Kirk um, in terms of how he performed last time in, in this matchup. So yeah, I think it's going to be a good one. The eight and a half allows you to tease through the seven, through the two, or through the three down to two and a half, and that's man. The books are going to be on the hook for uh, a lot of Chiefs minus two and a half here. I think this weekend.
1: We mentioned Jags defense, but I still want to get in here that the Chiefs are also second to last and red zone touchdown rate allowed. So if Trevor Lawrence is also playing significantly better over the second half of the year, inside the red zone in particular, and the Chiefs still can't stop anyone inside the red zone, I do expect a lot of points here. That's why I think the Jags keep up. Connor, you didn't sound as confident as laying the points as I did taking the points, but I am willing to put a skin in the game bet here for another bar tab if you want.
2: No, I'm good. I'd rather just take the over, like a team total over, because I, like, I mean, I think I, I produced almost a count, the counter argument there as well, because I do, th- I think the Chiefs score, but like I don't have a ton of faith in the Chiefs defense. And Trevor Lawrence is, I mean, he's the truth. He's always been the truth, you know. So um, I'm excited to see how he develops, especially with Calvin Ridley in the coming years. But yeah,
1: he's been awesome at times. Uh, I do want to lay out a couple prop situations here because now we're seeing that in his last four games. Against anyone but the Titans, Travis Etienne is averaging 6.3 yards per touch on 79 touches in that span. Basically, he just keeps getting jammed the ball. He handled 100% every single running back touch in that wild card game, and in and every the roller coaster of game scripts happened in that situation, and he never came off the field for Jermichael Hasty at all. So you're going to get every single touch, every single snap for Etienne in that game, and you're not going to get targets. Like the last time he got more than three targets was Week Seven. But he's so explosive that it doesn't even matter. So it's totally okay. So I do like some ETN overs. And then also, the last time the Jaguars allowed a touchdown to any player, running back, tight end, wide receiver from the boundary was actually this matchup in week 10. That's how long it's been. But 46% of Mahomes' passing yards and two of his four touchdowns in that last game occurred from the slot. And that area has now been whittled down to just two players since we don't think we're getting Nicole Hardman in this game. It's basically just going to be a large heaping of Juju Smith-Schuster, and that's the prop over to Chase here, but Kadarius Tony as well. Kadarius Tony, we saw in the last game, only eight routes. Like he's, They're not going to expand his role. He will be involved for concerted touches, which is good for fantasy. But like actual receiving yards, I'm still a little scared. But overall, a Juju is going to get fed heavily here because the slot is where you target the Jaguars. So I am on the Juju overs this week.
2: It's interesting because his prop came in really low because he hasn't really been producing that it's much. Really. We're looking at like 51 uh, yards. Um, And so I think the upside there is massive. You can actually get like plus 200 on 70 plus yards. So like two to one on him to have like what I think to be very much in his range of outcomes, like more towards the median there because of, like you said, the matchup. They're going to put their, you know, they're literally going to go gas the pedal until they have 50 points. So you don't have any worries about them slowing down ever.
0: Yeah. um, Juju, I think, was very popular um, last time they played. remember both uh, Kirk and Juju were very popular in this matchup. So I think uh, the Juju look is is not a bad one. Also, like the – so the interior offensive line for the Jags has been an issue. Chris Jones, two sacks last time they met. Um, He leads all defensive tackles in pass rush uh, pressures on the season. Uh, I think he's going to be a problem uh, for the Jags up front. So – Maybe um, even over, I think it's, it's out there on DraftKings, uh, 0.75 sacks uh, for Chris Jones. I think Chris Jones is, is in line to get a sack yet, too, in the first matchup. Uh, he's just been playing really, really good football. So, yeah, I mean, overall, I, I think that the, there's questions long-term as we move along in the playoffs, as the Chiefs advance into other matchups around the strength of their defense. I think it's good enough for them to contend here against the defense that I think that they're going to be able to, to kind of boat race to Connor's point where I think we're going to get, you know, 30 points or so.
2: What do you guys think about uh, Clyde Edwards-Solaire, Daigle? Any thoughts? I mean, is he going to even be an active or no? Well,
1: remember, before he even got injured, they weaned him out of this same backfield. So I can't imagine he's involved. But you know how the Chiefs players work. We're seeing it with Jared McKinnon now. Jared McKinnon has averaged a touchdown for every three receptions in his last six games. So uh, they, of course, could just get him involved for something crazy inside the 20. But, like, actual workload, no, he's not going to get touches.
2: I mean, Rojo's seen a little bit of work in in mop-up duty, you know, here and there. So, I mean, I think he – I think CEH can at least factor in a little bit, you know, um, I, if they need him. I mean, him just a – dude,
1: just a little bit. It was it was two whole games where they just basically said you're not good enough and took him out of the offense entirely, and then he got injured on just like one touch in his game where he showed up. Yeah, it's
2: the truth because he sucks, so makes sense.
1: Well, I don't want to say that, but yeah, sure. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well you don't want to be clipped and then blasted by CH publicly no, on we Twitter. don't have a producer today, really, so I can get away with anything.
0: <laughs> all right move on to the Saturday night nightcap here uh divisional matchup we had a bunch last week this is our lone divisional matchup though again we have multiple rematches we have the Giants on the road in Philly again seven and a half is the number across the board 48 and a half 48 is the total there's again fandel 48 and a half out there uh Philly needed the buy to get healthy it was obviously kind of a rough December for them uh, down the stretch, obviously, starting with Jalen Hurts, lots of other injuries on the defensive side as well. Offensive line issues, maybe still a problem for them here as we wait for Elaine Johnson news definitively. But uh, the Giants just kind of continue to get healthy, actually. Like that's been something that hasn't been uh, an issue for them, where they've been a little bit of just, it felt like smoke and mirrors at times, just were really playing really good football. Uh, This happens every year. We get one of these teams that is just kind of trending at the right time. And they actually did what I was hoping they would do last week, which was they backed off of the crazy blitz and were really smart and won with their front and were allowed to drop. And we made Justin Jefferson uh, kind of have a nightmarish day in a big, big game. Um, Dan Jones not turning the football over. Running a ton, 17 attempts in that game against the Vikings, just absolutely insane. Obviously, more difficult sledding here against an Eagles defense, which is got a lot more bite than the Vikings had at any point this season. I think obviously the concerns are how healthy is Jalen Hurts? Is he going to be the runner uh, that he was early in the season to add that level of uh, just a dynamic add to that offense? get started with Giants Eagles.
2: Yeah, I think it's easy to make the case, and you'll probably hear it where people are like, Oh, well. You know, the Eagles only won by six against Davis Webb and like the Giants backups in a game that they needed to win. But personally, I think with how the Eagles have been trending, Lane Johnson is healthy now. He's, I mean, healthier and going to play, which is a big deal for the offensive line. Miles Sanders actually wore a knee brace two weeks before uh, and was, was like limping around, didn't play well at all in their, their last game against the Giants either. But now is at two weeks off. Uh, did not play with the knee brace against the Giants, but just didn't play, I would say, particularly all that well. I think that getting that running game going again is massive here. And I relate this game more to the time when they played the Giants and scored 50 points. I mean, I think that this is much more similar scenario here coming off of an extra week of rest against the Giants team that I think they're, they're you know, they're better, much better than we thought. They have some players who, you know, can make plays on the defense. Their scheme is great. You know, elite coaching, like 100%. Dable probably deserves to win coach of the year. Um, but Problem. yeah, I know Get out yeah, of here. Yeah. <laughs> he definitely deserves it, but, uh, still, still hold not hope. But anyways, I, I really think that the Eagles are the side here. I get it. I understand that the giants have played teams close. Dable's awesome. He's schemed well, but for me, just like with how you handicap, I mean, basically everything on the field here and every number, like for me, it points towards the Eagles.
1: There are teams, every wild card that show up and are super impressive and then they play an actual contender the next round, and you just forget that this team does not deserve to be here. And Brian Dable is, unequivocally, the head coach of the year. The Giants, what they're doing is super impressive, although I still hate, and we'll talk about this throughout the offseason, no need to discuss it now, I hate that they backed themselves into a corner to where they're basically looking at a multi-year deal for Daniel Jones, and really, you just want one more year to play it out. I don't think, I don't think you're ready to, for a four-year deal here, but nonetheless, Everyone is, is doing well, including Isaiah Hodgins, who wasn't even on the team until week five, uh, maybe beyond that even after the Buffaloes by, since that's the last team he was on. But overall, I do think as long as Jalen Hurts and Lane Johnson are healthy, since that's what we're questioning here, then the Eagles are the juggernaut that are just going to roll over the Giants. With Lane Johnson off the field this year due to injury or just resting, but with Lane Johnson off the field – the Eagles are averaging nearly a yard per attempt, fewer 8.3 to 7.4, and then nearly two more yards per drop back through the air, 7.4 to 5.7. Also a 5.2% touchdown rate with Lane Johnson on the field compared to 2.2% with him off of it. So massive differences. Lane Johnson, which is what we talked about in week 18, whenever the Eagles had to have a win just matters so much for both Jalen Hurts running and through the air. Also, when Hurts' last two games, we've seen them. And remember, Nick Sirianni talked about this, that what their offense has become is basically if you see single high coverage or man coverage, there is no read. You throw to A.J. Brown. That's it. You give him a contested ball. You give him a 50-50 chance at a catch, and that's the play. And that's why he has a 39% target share in his last two games against man coverage. And as we know, Wink Martin down the Giants run man covers the league's highest rate. I think we're going to have a lot of opportunity here for some very explosive plays through the air. And since we're looking at the injury report and we see Jalen Hurts removed on Tuesday, we see Lane Johnson for rest purposes limited on Wednesday. I think everyone's at full strength. And if that's the case, I think we're looking at a two score win for the Eagles here at the very least.
0: Love it. Love that conviction. Again, seven and a half. It allows you to tease through the seven through the three, and then you get them just to basically to win um, you basically need the two one seeds to win in a teaser, and that's going to be again very, very, very popular ticket that's uh hard to not pull the trigger on. So, I'm with you guys. I think that the Eagles are a significantly better team. I do think that the Giants have been obviously well coached. You guys both talked about it, it's I, you cannot argue it. There's a few things that continue to be mind numbing to me, and I don't understand how. They've been able to survive and they are by far defensively. We know this has been kind of a worn sharp thing for years. is the early down success rate. The giants have, which again, like great descriptive stat, not uber predictive in terms of handicapping, but like the giants are the worst first down defense in the league significantly by far, both run and pass Um, by actually significantly against the run even more. And the Eagles are the second best first down offense it feels like a massive massive mismatch just getting ahead of the chains and allowing you to dictate what you want to do offensively it's the I think the opposite of what we saw last week with the Giants where they were able to kind of dictate what they want to do defensively to be able to collapse the pocket on Kirk Cousins and they were able to do so in a massive massive way like again Kayvon Thibodeau is playing outstanding Dexter Lawrence is a machine uh he had eight pressures Uh, last week just not something you typically see from a defensive tackle again we know that they had you know offensive line injury issues in Minnesota and they were able to exploit that and take advantage but like they are getting healthy in the back end like Xavier McKinney is in they're kind of figuring out the rotation in the back end with corners which they've been kind of just piecing together based on who's active all season it's been kind of a mess they are also hitting their stride in terms of being healthy I just think they're going to be overwhelmed by an Eagles team that benefited from the rest uh, just as superior, basically at all, every level. And again, if you can't get off the field and you aren't able to put them in a spot where you're going to be able to blitz and give Jalen hurts different looks, that's a, that's a problem. And uh, I think the Eagles are, are probably the right side. And I'm surprised it hasn't moved a lot, to be honest, because I really haven't heard a lot of pro giants talk this week, but we're still early in the week. Um, again, they at seven and a half, they're probably pretty protected. Um, for it to be a substantial move, you know, anyway. So, uh, yeah, I think the Eagles are, are on a very popular side for a reason.
1: I will also say that over the last month of the year, the Giants are the only team to allow over 19% of carries to go for 10-plus yards. On the season, the Giants are the only defense to allow over 17% of carries to go for 10-plus yards. They are one of the league's, if not the worst, rush defense, no matter which way you dice it. For both recency bias or long-term trends and as we talked about with the vikings it didn't matter they weren't going to run the ball anyways and they weren't going to have success when they do it so you we never were worried about dalvin cook and the vikings moving the ball on the ground but the eagles will go that route if they deem it necessary and so it could be a very big game for miles sanders and jalen hurts here if you're looking at rushing props
2: yeah absolutely the pound brought it up in the chat uh miles sanders versus new york giants week 14 17 carries 144 yards two touchdowns that's exactly kind of why I, Wanted to relate this game to that because I think this is like a very similar, you know, like matchup and structure for
1: Sanders to have success. And although I think the Eagles went big, I still question the overall ceiling output of this game and both teams. Uh, I wonder if the Giants, who again, we saw change up their game plan for the Vikings. I just wonder how they're going to view this one in particular, if they need to go more up-tempo to match points or take away possessions. Because Brian Dable, as we know, will do whatever it takes that is best for his team. Like against the Vikings last week, Daniel Jones, for instance, from the regular season, only averaged four design rush attempts per game and only two in the team's first matchup against Philly. But then against the Vikings... He had a season-high 11 design runs for seven first downs. And I even question if that was part of the game plan. I think they went for it a couple times. You saw him with some early design carries, and they picked up first downs on those first two, and they were like, oh, this is what's going to work tonight. And so they just took away from Saquon Barkley and ran Daniel Jones a season-high amount of times instead. I I just wonder – what is Dable viewing here? Because it could be to slow it down, but it could be to speed it up. So it's kind of a subjective question I'm asking myself going into DFS and like over betting purposes.
2: I think, well, another thing you have to consider is like Dable's smart enough to understand that if you fall behind, like shortening the game isn't going to help. So like, you know, if they fall behind seven to 10, like, you know they're just going to throw they because they, they, i think they know that so like whereas some other teams like you know atlanta or like or especially early on in the season weren't going to throw they were just going to keep trying to shorten the game and be like oh maybe we'll get lucky or get a stop or something like that i just don't think that that's really feasible given their defense and, and the eagles so um at least that's what i would guess uh if dable but maybe you're right maybe they do try and shorten the game but you know with you know jordan davis back like the, the Eagles defense has actually been pretty good the run defense has been solid it was just that when he was missing those and before they signed uh, you know, some of the other guys to shore up the defensive line, I mean, they were brutal in the trenches for a little while, uh, at least their run defense. But that seems like it's kind of been solved a little bit.
1: It's also funny that only one team in the NFC East changed their quarterback this offseason, and that is the one team in the NFC East who's not in the final eight in the playoffs. It's
0: true. They probably should have made the playoffs to begin with anyway. They just messed up some you know, Because time. they started
1: the one quarterback. They oh, changed two
0: i love it dunk it anytime he gets a chance to just dunk on carson wentz we're not even talking about him or bring him up and dunk on him so he'll, in, he'll enjoy straight. his
1: time with the raiders next year
0: yeah you won't need listen to this he's out on a hunting trip i'm sure so he's we're fine uh the one thing too in the red zone like there's another thing that the giants they're the best red zone offense in the league oh, they've been all season in best passing great against the run and it's a great matchup because the Eagles have been really stout uh, limiting passing games in the red zone, but they've been gashed on the ground. So like in terms of like touchdown props, or even if you're talking about DFS, like, I don't know, that seems like they might Dayball is going to be the guy that's going to know that this is where you attack Philly in the red zone. It's on the ground. It's been where teams have had success all season, 31st in red zone rush D on the year. So, I agree with the guys here. I think Philly at seven and a half is the side. We'll move on to the two Sunday games. I kind of think these are the two best games of the weekend. I think they're going to be fantastic football games. A Cincy in Buffalo rematch of what we wanted to see a couple of weeks ago. Uh, this one has moved a little bit. You have the Bengals catching five and a half. There's fives out there. 48, 48 and a half is the total. You can shop around. Um, I talked about it last week, that matchup in the division against the Ravens defense that had been trending against a team that Burrow has struggled against in his career with McDaniel at defensive coordinator was kind of, again, what happened? He, um, just I referenced in the last week's show, his success rate against other teams, non-Ravens teams, was about 50%, 36% against the Ravens. They gave him so much trouble, again, pre-snap, and it was a close game. And uh, even though they didn't have the offensive upside that we would expect to have for the Ravens, if they would have, that would have been probably a different football game. And again, without one big kind of flukish play, it probably is. Anyway, these two teams, again, they only played for a little bit obviously before the tragic accident with the Mar Hamlin, we probably got, if it was a boxing match, we got a round, but the Bengals came out and punched the bills in the face in the first round of that. What would have been a 12 round fight? And the Bills, we just haven't seen great football as of late. I know it's a team that we've been all on all season. Um, they've just been a different defense in the secondary with a lot of issues. Again, the DeMar Hamlin thing now, thank God he's healthy. We could talk about him from a football standpoint. They're going to miss him. He was Micah Hyde's replacement. They are now using Dean Marlowe, who couldn't stay on the field for the Falcons this year defensively and got a bunch of reps on last year's Lions defense like this is a problem for them in the secondary and they're a different front without Von Miller as well obviously the big gaping hole day that you get started with this one is the offensive line as well for the Bengals to continue to lose a starter every week and I think that's why you've seen this line movement
1: and that's why I'm curious about which narrative we're going to paint and I'm still on I could jump to either side of the fence, honestly, because we do have Burrow, as you mentioned, engineering that opening drive touchdown on Monday night against the Bills. And at that point, they were only, only missing Lyle Collins. But in his last 11 quarters now, without Collins, without right guard Alex Kappa, without left tackle Jonah Williams, he's averaged 5.7 yards per attempt, three touchdowns and two picks. On that same notion, the Ravens are... This team's bugaboo, just like the Do- just like the Bills, are so glad to be done with the Dolphins. Too. Now we know going into next year, as long as Mike McDaniels coaching, the Dolphins will play the Bills to the whistle every single moment. Uh, the Braves have had the Bengals' number, and they're the only defense that held Burrow to fewer than seven yards per attempt in all three games. Burrow against the Ravens went one for eight for 3.3 yards per attempt on throws 20 yards downfield. Against the rest of the league, 19 to 46 for 14 and a half yards per attempt. At the same time, though, is the offensive line such a big issue that the Bills' pass rush, uh, who finished top two in the league and rate of downs, they send just four rushers? Like, is that enough where four rushers will matter here and thus limit the Bengals to underneath passing? And then also, could the use of two high safeties from the Ravens who played two high safety on over half their defensive snaps, does that matter as well for how little and how lack of success Burrow had and throwing deep against Baltimore? Because that's really what we're trying to question here. And if that's the case, remember Buffalo has actually used two high safeties at the seventh highest rate in the league. And so I, I don't think it's going to be as high scoring of a game, as a lot of people think, I think we're going to get a lot of underneath passes, hence why Joe Mixon has also had 18 targets in his last three games. And that's kind of where I'm at right now. I prefer to lay the points with the Bills, just given Bengals offensive line issues. But honestly, I can hear both sides of the spectrum. I understand both arguments. So curious to get Connor's take on it.
2: Yeah, it's tough. I go back and forth. I think the line's adjusted for a lot of what you talked about there with the offensive line. And I, you know, if we go through there, I I like to rely on PFF grades for like offensive line play specifically because they do a great job of, you know, parsing through things that maybe, you know, we don't fully understand in terms of, you know, scheme and play to play basis and going play by play. I mean, right now, if we're looking at the projected Bengals offensive line without the guys that you mentioned, um, only one guy even has a BFF grade. Uh, the, the other ones that are like ranked and all of the other ones are at 50 or below and it's out of a hundred scale uh, outside of their center care. Uh, so he's he's like tw- 18th out of 40 centers this year. Um, and so obviously this is a massive issue, but then you go back to last year in their Super Bowl run, their offensive line sucked then too. And so that's what you kind of think about and you're like, well, Joe Burrow did it without an offensive line before. So how much, do I really, how much stock do I really want to put into that? And if we look at those guys, I mean, they were bad, but these guys technically projected to be worst. One of the backups from last year is now starting, uh, Carmen. So like, it's one of those things where, okay, so this line could actually be worse than last year, given the current like situation bills right now, 13th in pressure rate on the season, but do not have Von Miller. I know he was a big impact player for them as well. So there's so many things to weigh into this equation of like how it's going to turn out that for me, it's kind of just a stay away because would it surprise me to see them just like go shotgun and qu- like quick pass every single play. Not at all. Like that totally makes sense. Um, but you know, if they don't do that or if they try and, for some reason, like, you know, maybe establish a running game or use a bunch of, like, play action and, like, longer plays, like, developing plays, like, I mean, they might get eaten alive. So, how much do I want to bet on on Zach Taylor understanding that? So, for me, it's just kind of a stay away, maybe a live bet opportunity, see how they come out, because I think the matchup is there for the Bengals to win. Originally, I was interested in that, but with their offensive line issues, uh, I can't touch it.
0: Yeah, it's understandable. The offensive line issues are, uh, you know, that's going to be something that we'll probably get a good sense of right away is how is Buffalo attacking that. And I think the one big thing that's different, I keep going back to the Ravens thing is like, I think at this point, like you are just trying to like break and pick out the perfect quarterback. And if you were to like try to grab attributes from quarterbacks around the league, you know, I think of where we're at now, unfortunately with the end of Tom Brady's career, Um, you know, he wouldn't maybe be the first guy that you would think of in terms of pre-snap reads and having things diagnosed that combination of, you know, understanding what you're looking at and being able to diagnose it quickly and then be accurate where you're passing. I kind of feel like Burrow is that guy now. Um, and the Ravens for whatever reason, they do a really good job at uh, disguising things pre-snap. The Bills don't. They aren't very multiple. They are pretty much right in front of you. They don't change things a whole lot. They don't blitz a lot. Like it's very much pre snap going to be just very, very different. Um, It's like going, you know, hitting in the fast batting cages and all of a sudden Burrow is going to just be in medium. And that is a huge advantage for him pre snap. So um, I'm also just worried as I kind of teed it up at the top about Josh Allen, who I think is. Gosh, I mean, we know the ceiling of, of Josh Allen. We saw last year in Kansas City in the playoffs. We just – we haven't seen it, right? Like, I feel like we're getting to the point where they've been fine. The Turnovers are a problem. Turnovers are a problem. Three picks last week, two fumbles were covered both by the team. I felt like last week it was more hero ball. Like, he wanted – he took deep shots, which is great. We wanted to be aggressive. But sometimes, like, you need to take what the defense is giving you underneath. And that's not a Miami secondary that has been giving anyone problems this season. You mentioned the games have been close but it's not like Miami has had their number. The game in Miami in week three, they're like Buffalo never had the ball. They ran like 43 plays or something crazy. The
1: Dolphins had 16 first downs on 14 drives last week. There's no excuse to leave that team. Let them hang around and nearly win a game. No excuse.
2: And to your point, Miami actually kind of almost dared Josh Allen. They were just like literally blitzing playing single high. And we're like, throw it to Gabe Davis. Like if Gabe Davis beats us fine, that's what they were saying. And, I mean, sometimes he did, but too often he didn't. And that kind of left them exposed. And I think Josh Allen, not necessarily got greedy, but just kept wanting to take the, you know, those chunk gains. And so I don't really think that that Cincinnati will do the same thing. Um, So maybe it'll, I think it'll be a lot different situation here, but, you know, I think that was very Miami specific and part of, you know, hats off to, to them for game planning that, but. I don't know. I do agree though that Josh Allen has not been necessarily the same Josh Allen and it is a lot of turnover base. He makes just a couple more questionable decisions per game than we've seen in years past. I like I like
0: I like the Bengals here. Give me uh give me the money line, uh two to one. I think on FanDuel it's like plus two oh five. I just I think they're live. Um so I like I I just feel like give me the two to one instead of even messing with the points in the spot. So I, I like the Bengals
2: the line movement is interesting. So opened up at three and a half uh, bills minus three and a half and has now moved to five and a half, which is essentially in Vegas, like a dead number, you know, like it's basically them saying like, we don't want to make this six. We don't want to make this like four. We're just going to kind of stick it in between. And uh, so I think it kind of echoes the sentiment that we've been talking about here where like, you know, I think there's a lot of variables, but I certainly don't blame you for liking the Bengals. But I mean, you're essentially just betting on Joe Burrow, which I mean, all being said, one hundred percent. Yeah,
0: yeah, I, I am. I think he. I just trust him more in in this game in a big spot. Um, again, I, I I like the Bills. I like the Bills all season. I just feel like the injury issues in the back end for the Bills are going to start to come home to roost a little bit, and this is a team that can take advantage of it. Skylar Thompson wasn't going to exploit Dean Marlowe. Um, you know, Dane Jackson got dinged up a little bit. Like, there's some secondary issues there too. And again, now that they're a bottom half. Pass rush in terms of pressure rates since Von Miller's been out, that helps alleviate again. Like it's it's not a a, a weakness for the Bills per se. uh, Knowing again that is the weakness of the Bengals. I just think Burrow is going to be able to diagnose some stuff pre snap to be able to know where he wants to go with the football and be able to get it out before that becomes a problem for him. He's going to get some. He's going to get sacked. He's going to take some hits for sure. But I think he's going to be able to make some plays. And uh, the, I like what the uh, the Bengals defense can do as well. They're healthy with Hubbard. They're healthy with Hendrickson. They're going to be able to get pressure themselves.
1: A sneaky prop also, if you believe Burrow just gets rid of the ball quickly, is Samaj P. Ryan reception overs because he did, although getting out-touched 14-2 to by Joe Mixon, he quietly ran 22 routes to Mixon's 10. So he is the receiving back. And so if you think Burrow just dumps it off quickly, I expect p Ron's touches and catches in particular to go way up this game.
2: I like that. That's a, that's a good shout. Um, you know, I, Buffalo has been a team that's been pretty good at defending running backs generally, but I mean, I don't know how much that matters if he's going to see, I mean, his prop is going to be like one reception, one and a half reception, So it doesn't even really matter technically on how it's going to be
1: are. the Donald Parham special. I <laughs> place in discord on Friday night late where it's like, this is too low. Just bet this.
2: My favorite is that, uh, you know, people reply with emojis and they all put the eggplant emoji uh, on there. And I was just like, Oh, that's, that's perfect.
1: There are, there are certain players that, Everyone get excited about for some reason, although Donald Parham doesn't do anything in his career, people love betting Donald Parham overs.
0: Yeah, I gave that out on the uh give you a shout out and gave it out on the prop show last week as a uh as a prop that you you liked for us. So uh because I think Mayo was talking about something in the Chargers passing game or something. So yeah, give you a shout out and uh, it hit it, hit, it hit early. So nice, nice call. All right, the uh weekend nightcap on Sunday. Cowboys, Niners. This is three and a half at most spots Caesar still hanging at four or at 46 across the board for the total Fanduel, per usual off market, 45 and a half. Thank you. Fanduel. Great, impressive win. Like got Dak for what we saw in week 18 for Dak to be really scuffling against Washington in that game uh, to come out and play the efficient football game that he did uh, was impressive to see. Obviously the, the, Defense got into a predictive game script and allowed them to take advantage of, like I talked about on the show last week, a Bucks team that looked the same all year, except one game against Carolina. And everyone got really excited about it. Um, and I understand like there was some continuity from the Super Bowl team. It is Tom Brady. I am the as victim as anyone to be like, hey, I'm going to trust Tom in the playoffs. And it just, it wasn't there. It was nothing but four yards to Chris Godwin and hope that he could, you know, turn around before he got tackled. And it was just an absolute disaster. I don't blame a 45-year-old quarterback for not wanting to stand in there and take a hit anymore. He does not want to get hit. Uh, And it was very evident that he wanted to get rid of that football. Uh, He was just spiking balls at people's feet uh, instead of getting hit there. So um, it's been a great run, Tom. Maybe we'll see you again next year. I think we probably will. Uh, I'll be interested to see what happens with that. But um, this again is, it might be similar, maybe to a lesser degree than what Dago was talking about earlier in reference to the giants. We see these teams that take advantage of a lesser wildcard team, get some momentum, change the narrative around the team and everyone gets really pumped up. Um, I think that's what's happening with the Cowboys. Uh, I will let you guys go first here. Dago, let you get started with the Cowboys Niners.
1: It's an, Interesting situation because I already mentioned earlier in the show how Dak started open four. So you take that away. He actually went 25 of 29 for 305 yards and four touchdowns in the game after the opening drive. The Cowboys also only totaled two penalties on both either side of the ball at the game. So they legitimately played the perfect game against the Bucks. At the same time, everyone cites the Cowboys pass rush now. Michael Parsons, of course, like Nine, his nine pressures, although it doesn't show up in the sacks, is why you look at pressures. His nine pressures were the second most of any player throughout the year. And he was actually the person to set that record this year with 11 total pressures. So he broke his own record in that game. But at the same time, Tom Brady, yes, averaged 2.4 seconds from snap to throw against Dallas because he did not want to get hit because he understood he needed to keep clean. But PFF actually tracks these numbers. And on throws where Brett Purdy got rid of the ball in less than two and a half seconds this year, Uh he actually averaged, which he did so on 51% of his dropbacks, the se- seventh highest rate in the league. He actually completed 73% of his passes for eight yards per attempt, the third most yards per attempt on those throws since week 13, since he became starter. So, Getting rid of the ball quickly also isn't something Brett Purdy is afraid or not accustomed to doing. He's already been here before, and so I actually do not worry about the Cowboys' pass rush in this spot. Yes, we are definitely waiting for the touchdown rate to regress since his 8% touchdown rate now since he became the starter. Uh, For reference, Patrick Mahomes, the MVP of the league, is carrying a 6.3% touchdown rate into the divisional round. Um, Brock Purdy cannot do this forever, but at the same time, I agree. I don't think this is the game where he gets stopped, especially with this offense clicking on all cylinders. So, yes, I do like laying the points with the 49ers and think the 49ers defense is what really comes into play here above all else.
2: It's hilarious to see the recency bias like seesaw here with how coming into last week, everyone's like, oh, man, the Cowboys, you know, worried about what we saw against Washington. You know, the Bucks looked awesome in their last game. Now, the you know, the Cowboys got an absolutely annihilate the Bucs. And now in this week, everyone's like, love the Cowboys. You know, my plus four lock you know, I absolutely love it. And I've actually seen a lot of models love the Cowboys I guess my biggest issue with the Cowboys is that I think their defense is a little bit overrated. So in this, like they've played against like four good offenses all year. They let up 34 to the Gardner Minshew Eagles, 40 to Lawrence and the Jags, 31 to the Packers, 26 to the Eagles with Hertz. Uh, I mean, week two, they held the Bengals to 17 points, but that's like the only legitimate game that they played against a good offense here. And now you have a Niners team that like you said, Bert Purdy has handled pressure extremely well. Five touchdowns, one interception, uh, Average over seven yards per attempt against pressure this year. And so the Niners are just so multiple. I mean, literally, they started off the first drive. Christian McCaffrey would would like switch with Debo Samuel like every other play. He would line up in the backfield and switch with Debo mid play. Debo would come in the backfield. H- how are you going to guard these guys like every play? I have no idea. Like, it's to me, it's just unbelievable the things that they can do. And this is just a Cowboys defense that. I don't think is ready for that kind of and level of sophistication um, from the, from the Niners. So I think they can beat them on the ground. Like they're a little bit more physical up front than they are. I think they can beat them through the air with like, you know, they're scheming and everything for me. It's just, I think the Niners have a massive edge offensively and defensively. I have, you know, some questions about the 49ers, but I still think they have an edge there. So uh, I like the Niners here. I laid a bunch at three. I got to FanDuel at three and I texted noon and I was like, this is crazy. I was like, I'm laying the Niners here.
1: I will add to that because last week, The the entire team for the 49ers combined for two catches for 15 yards from the slot. Basically, all of their production came from the boundary, and that was against a Seahawks defense who had allowed the fewest yards per target from the boundary in the league this year. And now it's the Dallas defense who, over the second half of the season, has allowed three more touchdowns than the next closest team, from Week 10 on, um, from the boundary in particular. So I'm expecting a big day for Ayuk. I'm expecting a big day for McCaffrey, who, as we know, only gets pulled off the field if it's a non-competitive game. Uh, Debo Samuel now, he has four starts with Brock Purdy. This is what I was harping on in our FFPC stream with Joe Pano making his one annual appearance last year, last week. Um, That Debo Samuel now had, in his four games, had a team-high target share in Week 13, Tied for the team high target share in week 14. His first game back had a 15% target share in week 18. And then last week, of course, 30% target share team high. Like Brunt Birdie also has, I would argue, an even better rapport with Debo than George Kittle. And so I expect the receivers to have some very big days here against Dallas' defense. I just
0: feel like the 49ers are an inevitable machine right now. We haven't haven't really seen it all together. And we kind of got it last week with Debo back. And I just don't know how you, how you game plan for that. Like, again, that game against Tampa was amazing. You mentioned they played a perfect game. Tampa Bay has been the league's worst rushing offense all season. They got scripted out of it. So they really couldn't even try to do it. That's not happening here. And to have them try to defend this run game is a very, very, very different beast. Connor mentioned a couple of things that I want to touch on too, with Brock Purdy at quarterback. And again, this is Shanahan. Like, I don't want to knock Brock Purdy and say that he's not done terrific, but like, we know this. We know this. They always lead the league in yak. Completion percentage over expectation. There's just a bunch of like, like things that are just schematically designed for Shanahan, who sometimes, yeah, we know gets tight in playoff games late. It's It's been his bugaboo. He'll have to overcome that here. Uh, but he's going to get a chance because his team is so damn loaded. And with Brock Purdy quarterback, their first in-pass offensive DVOA. Five of those games were out Debo Samuel. Debo comes back last week and just dominates. And again, Connor mentioned you could put him in the backfield, throw to him, hand it to him, like it's very very difficult. You you're going to find mismatches because you can't you can't like account for everyone. You're going to find a bunch of spots where you're going to get one-on-one coverage and I think they're going to be able to take advantage of that. Now, at the same time frame, over the last 7 games, that Dallas pass defense is 23rd in DVOA. They haven't played anybody they have not played anyone of any value during that time frame. Indy, dead last. Houston, 30th. Uh, Tennessee, 28th. Washington at 18th. Um, you know, Philly, middle of the pack. Jacksonville was the best offense uh, that they played in that in that time. And they are one of the bottom eight in DVOA pass defense. And I know that they looked really good. They did something, though, in the game before I kick it back to Daigle that I think now is on film, and it worked. And, and kudos to Dan Quinn. He has been an eight awesome defensive coordinator multiple times in his career, but they made a change at slot corner and they went with a bunch of guys, put Deron Bland for the first time in his life on the outside. And I think that that was something that the Buccaneers weren't really ready for. I think they're going to find that Deron Bland has not been good all season. I think they're going to find matchups that the Niners like to take advantage here now that that's on film and they can expect it. So Uh, I just I like that. I love three and a half. I took four. I'm fine with whatever. I think this is a seven point game, at least in the Niners. I think that they Dallas is good. They'll score. They'll move the ball. It just won't look anything like last week. So give me the Niners. I'm comfortable laying the points no matter what it is.
1: Much like how my therapist emphasizes to express gratitude in times you are down because it reminds you about what is good in life. The more people try to throw things at Brock Purdy and make excuses for it, the faster he's going to go away from your life, and you're not going to know it's hitting you. I listen to so many betting shows from very smart people I respect, and they're always making up excuses for Brock Purdy. Oh, this is first career road game last time he played Seattle. Oh, they were in the rain. Oh, this is first career playoff start. It doesn't matter. Micah Parsons does not matter. You have to appreciate what is happening here, and we haven't seen it before. We haven't seen Mr. Relevant be the best quarterback, arguably, on his own roster. So it makes sense why people just keep saying that it's not going to last. This is going to last. Brock Purdy is very, very good and adds a different element than Jimmy Garoppolo could ever even dream of bringing, especially with his legs and how mobile he is and how well he evades pressure. So, no, like I don't think it ends here at all. Like The fairy tale keeps going.
2: And the the birds are already chirping. I mean, I know, Dagle, I don't know if you've heard, but I mean— like Brock Purdy's going to be the starting quarterback next year for the Niners. I mean, that's like, like the like Kyle Shannon loves it. Uh, I mean, that's like, I, I, I'm very confident that happens and that's what has been, you know, that's what we, I've heard from multiple different people.
1: He has shown more than Trey Lance has shown us in a very small sample. That's all I know right now.
2: The depth of
0: target was very interesting last week too. Steven Ruiz had a great piece on, uh, the ringer looking at like, you know, yak and, um, Depth of target combined, and it just like you look at the the chart, and it's just Rock Purdy is off the charts in terms of where he is. um So it's not just like the short yardage Jimmy G type yak that's around the line of scrimmage that's relied on Kittle, Debo, Ayuk to extend plays uh, with their legs. We're getting the yak from these guys, but we're also getting it from like a deep a dot, which is atypical. um So he was yeah, high stepping.
1: He was high stepping at one point. The kid's got confidence now too. He deserves it,
2: you know. He should be feeling himself a little bit. So I like
1: him. I he, want to he see. He was a little
2: wild at Iowa State. He was just like all like a little gunslinger, you know. Yeah, just like, the, like the college around.
1: profile, the preseason games—they don't make. Trust me, they don't make sense at all. I, I'm trying to make sense of them, <laughs> and it is just genuinely best, like an inside joke, to just never look back at the history of it and keep on going with your friends because it. Brock Purdy does not make sense, but he is awesome.
0: Yeah, i I just I feel like. He,
2: I like agrees.
0: agrees. I feel like Eagles and Niners is inevitable. I want to see it and hopefully we do.
2: Um, look ahead. We can just talk about that briefly. Eagles or the Niners would go to the Eagles. Um, what's the spread? Dagle, any thoughts?
1: Minus one and a half.
2: Yeah, I was <laughs> gonna say pick, but yeah, I think minus one and a half to I don't if it got to three for the Eagles, I'd be really surprised, but I mean, just because they're at home, but yeah, I think minus one and a half is about fine.
0: I was going to guess one and a half as well. I think it does matter a little bit in how these games get decided this week, just in terms of, you know, public perception and how definitive any of those victories are, right? Like, are they, you know, last minute wins for either of the teams? I think that that can impact it a little bit too. So, um, yeah, I would love to just want to see that football game. I think it'd be a, a great, great
1: game. Also quickly for prop purposes, like Dallas's matchup last week, when we talked about CD Lamb against the Bucks, the slot is where the 49ers have been exploited the most this year. Uh, fourth most receiving yards, receiving overs as well.
2: <laughs> we caught about, uh, I don't know, 10% of that. So we got mm-hmm. CD Lamb receiving
1: overs. Uh, and Niners you, you have been game. exploited for the fourth most receiving yards per game and third most touchdowns this year from the middle of the field. Yeah. So I like CD Lamb receiving overs as well. Okay. Awesome.
0: All right. So if it's. uh. Chiefs and Bills uh, in Atlanta. Uh, what's the line, Connor?
2: Uh, probably Chiefs minus one and a half. Chiefs minus two and a half. I think. I mean, I would. I think they're still the better team, and given what we've seen from Buffalo. But um, I mean, I I think you bet Chiefs nine or Super Bowl. That's what I think it is right now.
1: And we didn't see it on Wild Card Weekend. But remember, the overtime rules now because of the Chiefs Bills game is every team gets a possession no matter what. So actually softer and more favorable to overs moving forward.
0: That's a good call. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I agree. I think it's, uh, I think it's chiefs Niners. I feel good about that still. Um, I, I have a chiefs 30 to one chiefs over Niners to
2: get. Oh, which, uh, is. Okay. Yeah.
0: So it's not just the matchup. It's uh, chiefs winning. So, which I don't necessarily love as much anymore, but we'll you see. Can, I mean, I you just, can hedge I, out when
2: you get there. I mean, if, if it gets there, exactly. which I think we all do, like you can easily just hedge out. So correct.
0: Yeah. Um, what about if it's the uh, Bengals Chiefs? That would be in Kansas City. Uh, what are your thoughts, Connor?
2: Um, probably Chiefs. Uh, I would have to be above three. It'd probably be like four. I'd guess maybe because I mean, if if the Bill if the Bengals beat the Bills, like they're going to carry a little bit of respect there. Uh, I, so I would. I, I'd expect a, a pretty similar line to what we're seeing now. So like, you know, four to six, four to five and a half is what I'd guess.
0: Either way, those are two really, really, really good football games uh, on docket next week. So, all right, gentlemen, good stuff as always. Uh, Appreciate everyone hanging out with us uh, in the chat. And uh, again, reminder that we have a a prop drop show on Friday, 2 p.m. Eastern. You can find lots of uh, written content from us on the site still to come. Prop articles from us. Dagle's still grinding uh, articles out there. DFS MVP show still to come. Um, Anything else you guys want to give the listeners before we go?
2: Nothing in particular outside of uh, more prop bets in the Discord. You know, come and hang out. Uh, come chill. We'll be making money all the way through the end of the season. If you, bucks.
1: If you, yes, take advantage of the $19 and get in the Discord. Admittedly, the betting Discord is more active. Uh, TG and I are there until kickoff, and then I'll help you out some during lock. But I don't even like texting people during games uh, because I don't like hindsight, and I, everyone, like, sweats in frets, and yells in the moment. I'm not like that at all. i just like, you've already done the process. Why agonize over yourself for results? So I, I don't even like talking during the games. I won't be in game, Discord in games. But before, I'm always there.
2: Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I, I'm in there, but people are super negative. The moment a bet loses, you'll get some, some, you know, motherfucker in there giving you a red X or like, you know, giving you like a garbage emoji on your bet. You're like, don't be you. that guy. Yeah, that guy's the whoever that guy.
1: guy is. That's the worst guy. <laughs> I just don't I just hang just out. Trust the process. In, I don't I care about the results. and exactly. move
0: on. I do like to hang out in there. I, we, I, I, that's I love yeah. our community. I think that that's part of why we're successful uh, I think people like coming back to us because the you know, accessibility is something that isn't readily available across the market. I think it's something that we do pretty well. But like, hang out in the chat, talk with us. Don't be the ghost that doesn't interact ever and then just grades everyone's props as soon as they hit. <laughs> only the only the losses. Never get the green check or a money bag on the win. Use a hammer like the red axe in the circle. Like that guy's the worst. Don't be that. Don't, don't worry in that- the chat
1: or in life. Don't worry that Richie James had two drops and that prop would have hit if he didn't drop the ball. Don't give me a red X.
2: I was tilting. I was tilting.
0: Good stuff as always, gentlemen. So uh, again, props on Friday, 2 p.m. Eastern. Df- DFS MVP on Friday as well. So for Dagan and Connor, I'm lying. to we'll see you all.